ugly works. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back, listener. This is once again Traffic Jam, the show where you learn each week from the very best traffic experts out there on the internet so that you can learn how to build and grow a profitable audience for your website. Now, I'm your host, James Reynolds, and you're listening in to episode number seven. One quick mention at the top of the show, and this goes out to you if you are a female entrepreneur listening in Australia. Victoria Gibson, our inaugural first guest here on Traffic Jam, is holding Breakout Success live on May the 11th in Melbourne. Now, this is a one day event and the description is as follows. Full disclosure, I've taken this from Victoria's website, so I make sure I get the details right for it. Number one, you'll uncover the steps big online players are using right now for more impact, success and profit. It includes intimate sessions of mind storming. I love that phrase. And inspiration for female entrepreneurs. Jumpstart your success online with specific and actionable game changing steps that will turn your approach to your online business on its head for big results. Now, if you are a female entrepreneur and anywhere near Melbourne, Australia, then get yourself to this event. Victoria is an extremely successful entrepreneur and I know she'll be sharing her top secrets at this one day live event. So for further information, head on over to her website that's dedicated for this event and that is breakoutsuccesslive.com. Trafficjamcast.com. So what's coming up on episode number seven? Well, when you stick around till the end of the show today, you will learn how to turn your videos into visits in this week's one minute traffic tip. I've got for you all the very latest goings on in the world of traffic in the section we call this week's news in traffic. And finally, playing out the show, as always, the traffic jam jam. But before all of that, coming up next, we have this week's feature interview, and it's with Max Teitelbaum, a successful young entrepreneur who created his first startup at the age of 15, and by the age of 20, had already made millions as an affiliate promoting offers via media buys, which is buying banner advertising to promote third-party offers on which he would then be paid a commission when a sale was made. Now, Max is now the co-founder and COO of WhatRunsWhere.com, a company that helps people buy media more effectively by providing data on competitors and verticals within the online advertising space. Now, if you are advertising online, perhaps on Google or Facebook or any of the other networks or even considering it, on this interview, Max reveals exactly what you need to know about setting up your campaign so it makes you profit from the start. He reveals where you should be placing your ads, the exact elements that make up an effective banner, as well as his sneakiest and somewhat unexpected tips surrounding effective banner design. So let's get stuck into the interview right now. 
Today, the topic of conversation is online media buying. And to peel back the layers of this particular traffic channel, I've got a successful young entrepreneur all the way from Canada, and that's Max Teitelbaum. How you doing, Max? Not too bad. Happy to be here. Well, it's awesome to have you on the call. I think you're going to be sharing some great stuff with us today. But before we dive deep into the topic of online media buying, you've got to tell our listener a little bit about how you got into this, because the word on the street is you've got pretty damn good at media buying, even from a pretty early age, practically in your teens. Tell us about your backstory. Yeah, well, it actually was in my teens. I started, I started buying media online and started running a small affiliate company, or as we like to spice up with a performance agency, when I was 15 years old. And between the time I was 15 and 19, I bought millions of dollars of media online for other people's products and services. So we would get paid to promote somebody else's product and service, and we would go and buy, do all that media buying for them. So through all of that, I really learned what works in that industry, what doesn't, and how to really make a buy successful. So walk us through some of the numbers, Max. I I know you were buying a lot of media at one stage. Tell us about some of the success that you had, if you're willing and able to share some of those numbers. I don't love to brag, and I'm I'm a fairly reserved person, but a bunch of it's out on Mixergy and stuff like that. I bought somewhere in the area of 3 to $4 million worth of media in those couple years. And obviously that ramped up towards the end and bought all very profitably for other people's um, products and services. So just walk us through exactly what you were doing. As I understand it from our conversations and what I've heard of you from elsewhere, you were buying media then to sell affiliate products. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. So we, we would get paid a commission. So let's say that bank comes to you and says, I have a new credit card and I want people to come and sign up to my credit card and I'll pay you X dollars for everybody that you get to come sign up. We would actually go out and create ads and buy all that media for them and actually drive that action and those signups for their products and create more dollar value of signups than what we bought. We would be making money. Got it. And then it's just a simple mathematic equation. Good. Okay. Well, we've kind of set the scene on your experience and we'll move through to the present and exactly what you're up to right now a little later on. But what I'd really like to do with you over the course of the next sort of 20 minutes or so is really sort of peel back the lid on what media buying entails and for you to literally just walk us through the process of what a typical media buy would be. Let's get started from the beginning. What do we need to know before starting out with buying media online? Sure. Well, I mean, there are a lot of things that you need to know before you actually place a media buy. But we, but before that, we need to sort of term what it is because buying media can, you know, mean a whole bunch of things. It can mean placing an advertisement on a website. It can mean buying on all sorts of different metrics. But, you know, a media buy is whenever you place ads on a, you know, property. And it can be an online media buy or an offline media buy. It can be something like buying a TV ad, but, you know, I don't know anything about that. I only know about online media buys. So before before you actually start doing that buy, you, of course, need to do research because you're not going to – you can't just throw something up somewhere and hope that it works. You need to sort of hedge your bet and be able to understand, you know, what works where and how you can really use that information to, you know, limit your risk and ultimately make more money. And where, where that comes through is, you know, researching other compa- where other competitors are running ads, you know, the demographics of the place that you want to buy, 
competitive rates and then also you know just generally what's working what the trends are within that space and you know we'll talk about later what, what we've created to help with that but those are the high level basics of what you sort of need to know before you start buying okay so we're talking about competitor profiling we're talking about understanding the demographics of your target market um that type of thing i would imagine where would be some of those places that you could go and capture that data and get that deeper understanding into who you should be targeting and where you should be targeting them well i mean to, to me the the only place you should go is whatrunswhere.com when i'm a little bit biased because that's that's my current company <laughs> and um i mean we, we provoke we provide all that information for people um in a really in-depth granular view to help them buy media more efficiently and limit risk because if you think about it if you can buy media based on what your competitors are doing and take what they spent in some cases tens of millions of dollars testing to figure out what works and use as a starting point you're going to be much more successful right off the bat absolutely yeah you're hedging your risk there aren't you if you get that data up front rather than testing on your own dollar as you go exactly cool okay so we've established we need to do a little bit of research to make sure that we understand the what and the where let's talk about where we can actually go to get our media. What are some of the different places on which we can make that purchase, Max? Absolutely. Well, there are three main places you can go to place media. A direct buy, buying through an ad network, and then buying through what's called a DSP or demand side platform. So I'll go through either. A direct buy is a one-to-one -one relationship. I would go to your site and I would say, hey, I want to buy an ad unit here, and I would deal with just you. We would negotiate the buy and I'll put my ad on your site. An ad network is a is you know a collection of websites where you can play where you go to the network and say I want to buy and they'll place you across their network of sites or on specific sites, but they but you don't have as much control or transparency into what's sort of happening, but they do a lot of the management and heavy lifting for you. So you sort of just supply a budget, some creatives, and then work with them to optimize your buy. And then finally, a demand side platform or a DSP is a more programmatic way of buying, which allows you to bid similar to how you would on AdWords or you know any other platform for media in real time, and buy across you know a very granular range of sites that you can pick yourself. So it's like doing direct buys, but on a larger scale. Got it. Cool. I think it would be helpful at this stage to perhaps give some examples and also to kind of explain the pros and cons of each one. Direct buys, I imagine it's pretty self-explanatory. You're going to a single website, um, contacting the owner or the administrator and saying, I want to buy space on your site. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages in comparison to perhaps some of the other methods in doing direct buying? Well, the, the advantages and disadvantages, one is that you have to sign a much larger contract. Usually when you do a direct buy, that's a disadvantage. But an advantage is in some cases, and it's a disadvantage, in some cases you can get inventory cheaper, but in other cases they'll want a premium because you're going directly to them. The, the other advantage is if you can really pinpoint a way that's working, you can lock that traffic source down and create a barrier to entry for your business. So you can you know basically pick something that nobody else can copy if you're able to you know negotiate with the correct terms got it okay cool well let's cover off the next one which is the network or agency buy um, tell us about yeah. some examples As of some I, of the ad networks you could go to perhaps and then yeah move on to some of the pros and cons sure i mean there there, there are hundreds of them from anybody from somebody like cpx interactive to casali media to tribal fusion 
what what they do is they have these large network of sites and they have a lot of reach. So they can scale the pros are that they can scale your campaign for you. If you have a good manager that's doing the buying for you, they'll do a lot of the work for you and help you be really successful. I mean the cons are that you know you don't have a lot of transparency as to sort of what's happening within that network or where your ads are showing up. Um, you don't have much control over again where they're showing up. And if you don't have a good, you know, network, you know, representative you can lose quite a bit of money because they're not really working for you. Without without that sort of individual granular control, you're sort of putting your fate in somebody else's hands. Got it. Okay, cool. And then the final example you gave us was, uh, you have to repeat what the actual wording was, but it was a bidding model, right? Is it, do you say a DSP? I probably exactly. got those letters the wrong way around. D- have I got it right? DS- DSP. DSP. DSP, demand side platform. Got it. Okay, so you're going to so, need to give I mean, a little bit more explanation to that, I think. Sure. So it's it would be somebody like Turn or Media Math or Engage BDR, where these are large platforms that sell other people's inventory on a large scale across you know ten twenty thousand publishers, and you can pick you know people that you want to advertise on or programmatically buy across a large audience. The pros there are it gives you a huge level of control and a huge level of transparency into you know what's happening where your ads are showing up. The cons are is it takes a lot of know how and time. And, you know, again, there's no hand-holding. You're sort of on your own at that point. Yeah. So where, where would be the best place to start for someone that's brand new to media buying? I, I would think it would be either in the direct buy model because you can really pinpoint sites that are working or on the DSP side on one of the smaller DSPs that have a very low, you know, minimum to start buying on. Right. Got it. Cool. All right. Fantastic, Max. Well, let's move forward from there. I want to talk to you about some of the buying models and get a better understanding of actually how these media buys are priced. What's the model? Is it CPM, CPA, CPC? And and I guess perhaps for our listener out there, we should probably give some explanation to what each of those means. Sure. Sure. Most most buys are priced on a CPM. And what that means is cost per thousand impressions. So if you have a dollar CPM, you would pay one dollar for every thousand times your banner is shown. And then some are priced on CPC, which is the cost per click, which means you only pay when your ad is clicked on and click is driven to your website. And then the fewest, but yet some still are priced on CPA, which is a cost per action or acquisition, which is where you pay when somebody does something like sign up for something or you know fill out a specified action that you want them to do. But the majority of buyers are based on CPM where you you take that upfront risk and then you need to make your ads and your, you know, sort of model work from the traffic that they're giving you. Yeah. And I guess this is perhaps one of those questions of how long is a piece of string? What are some of the pricing ranges of a media buy? Perhaps using some examples that you've bought yourself, Max. It can honestly go anywhere depending on the website and depending on the traffic. Obviously a large, large website with low quality traffic, like let's say one of the torrent sites, you may be able to buy on for you know a couple pennies on the CPM. Yeah. Um, and also depending on the country. But if you're on a premium website or you're on a very niche vertical website, you can be paying upwards of $10, $15 CPMs depending on the traffic and where you're buying. There's a huge range. Yeah. It also depends if you're buying you know, remnant unsold inventory if you're buying, you know, premium inventory. So premium inventory is inventory that, you know, they sell to large brands and it's sort of the first impression and when you come to the website, that's the first thing you see. Well, remnant inventory is just inventory they're unable to sell later in the chain. Right. 
So you can always they, they discount it like a retailer would discount old clothes. Well, I guess here we've got to talk about the topic of testing and actually establishing which is going to be most profitable. Because as you and I know, it's not only the cheapest traffic that's the most profitable, the most expensive is often the most expensive for a reason. But I'd like to cover that topic with you a little bit later. For now, I think we should just talk about what the order process might entail. How is this stuff ordered? Do we whack it on a credit card? Do we do a bank transfer? What's the process? Because I'm guessing the numbers are pretty big in some cases. Yeah, it, re- it really depends because it depends the model that you buy on. For some of them, there is no order process. You sign up to a website and you deposit money and you take care of the terms of service. For most ad networks and most direct buys, you're going to sign what's called an I.O. or insertion order. And what this is, is it's a little contract that's going to say, here are the terms of my buy. And what that'll do is it'll term out things like what your CPM is or what you're going to pay for the inventory. Do you have any restrictions on who you need to target? What is what's called an out clause? So how quickly can you stop the buy if you need it to be stopped? What's your entire budget? You know, How quickly do changes need to be done? All that kind of stuff is going to be termed out in what's called an insertion order. And that's going to dictate you know, the terms of your buy, and that, that's sort of your negotiation. You sign it right before your buy is about to go live. Got it. And is there anything we need to be wary of there, or are these sort of standard terms pretty much good to go? Sign them, get started. The, the, the out clause is the thing that I would be wary about. You know, An out clause, as I said, means how quickly you can get your buy paused. If you have a 24-hour out clause, when you say pause my buy, um, somebody has up to 24 hours to stop it. Now, let's say that you have a 72 or even 96 hour out clause. If, you, if you're spending, let's say $5,000 a day and you say stop my buy, they can keep your buy going for three to four days as per your out clause with no penalty. So they can cost you 15 to $20,000. So having, having a short out clause, you know, 24 to 48 hours is really, really important. So would you make that a condition of sale, Max? I mean, if you were to come across an agency, yeah. it was saying, yeah. right, Absolutely. three or four days, you would say, wait, hold on a second here. We need to get this down to 24 hours. Yeah, one, maybe two if I'm feeling really generous. Got it. Okay, well, make sure you're covered there is the the simple answer. Cool. Well, we're making some progress here. We've We've talked about research. We understand where we can get the media, where it can be placed, what the buying model is and how to order. I guess the next step is we need to create some ads. What components make up an effective banner ad, Max? It really depends on the style of ad that you're creating. There is no one one set of components, but there but there's certain things that people put into their ads. One of them is the headlines. So what what's the thing that sort of catches your eye? Free food, um, you know, something that gives you know a general idea of what you do in a very but is very eye catchy. And then you're gonna have you know depending if you have more text, you're gonna have a sub headline which is more text explaining what you do. Or, you know, in the free food model, then say, come in, buy one, get one free, something like that. You may or may not have an image within your ad. And then finally, you would have a call to action or a CTA, which would which would drive the user to complete an action. So it would be something like, you know, try us today, click here, something like that. Got it. And which ones have the greatest impact over the effectiveness of the ad? Well, obviously, the, the largest elements in the ad are going to be the most impactful first. So you're, if you have an image, your image, your headline, the background color of your ad, you just test through everything. 
you know, you can never be happy with the ad that you have. You have to constantly test. So what you do is you start testing the biggest elements and you sort of move down from there. Yeah. So I guess that's going to start off with the the kind of the big idea, move to the headline, perhaps the image, see exactly. the call to action, then perhaps your, your sub headline last just in, you know, as you say, in descending exactly. order, right? And then, okay. and then there are all sorts of other things that you can test. If you have a border around the outside of your ad, testing different border colors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, button colors, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. So, Max, you obviously see a lot of banner ads. You've probably created a hell of a lot in your time as well. I'm sure some effective, probably some complete flops. What design principles are common to the most successful ads? Well, I mean, the, the first thing is research. No, there's no one successful ad, but if you can research what other people are doing or what other people are having success with, you can spot commonalities. So for some ads, sometimes there are trends where a lot of ads will use the same style of you know, creative or are, are a lot of ads using cartoons or are they using lots of text? Um, and you can, you can spot to start, start to spot similarities in the ads. Are, are they all using a specific call to action? Are they all using a specific style of banner? And incorporate those, you know, incorporate those elements back within your own ads. When, when, I, when I would start is, you know, you really have to keep it simple because you're going to want to test a number of different messages and ideas at the very beginning. So overcomplicating things, leaving a few variables to test and then making them more complicated once you figure out what works is really important. And then also, you know, if you, if you can make your ad match or blend into the publisher's website, so the website you're advertising on, that's extremely effective. If you can say to you know somebody, if you can convince the user that it's not an ad, it's a part of their website or something like that, people yeah. are really, really you know sort of brainwashed to be immune to ads at this point. So it's about making your ad you know jump out and sort of defy the norm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of going back to the old days of direct mail and paper insertions where people would do those advertorials that literally look like they blended into the copy that was around them. I'm sure the principle as you're speaking about is the same for media buying as well. Exactly. Because if you think about those days, when you get paper mail, you usually just throw it all out. You know, you're like, oh, this is an ad. I don't want it. Now online, you can't throw an ad, but you can, you know, start to ignore it. So you have to figure out a way to beat that what's called banner blindness. Got it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'd like you to reveal some sneaky tips as well, Max. Have you got any kind of really cool top tips that you'd probably normally keep to yourself and wouldn't share? Give us our listeners something really good to take away today. Sure. I mean, I mean, as I said, the first is trying to make your ads blend into the website. So if you're doing a direct buy or a, site or a website buy where you can you know, tell what the website looks like, if you can make it look like it's part of the website or blend in, if they'll allow you to do that, that'll cause your ad to be a lot more successful. Um, something that we always do, we always create ugly ads, and we test those against our normal ads. Um, ugly works, <laughs> and it's it's surprising, but it works because it doesn't look like an ad. So you know, people won't don't believe me, but you know, back when I was buying, I created a lot of my ads in paint, and they were ugly as anything, but they worked because they didn't look like ads. And then there are other things that you can do to sort of try and you know trick the user into clicking on your ad because that you know it's not necessarily about tricking them, but getting them to click on your ad gets them to engage with what you're doing, and then you can use you know a pre-sale page or your offer page to sell to sell from there. So using some things like scroll bars or play buttons on on those ads can you know make them think it's a video or that there's more here. 
And then, as I said, banner blindness. So even if you have a successful ad, you will see eventually that the click-through rate and you know the effectiveness of the ad will start to drop because people have seen it and they start to tune it out. So you need ways to sort of capture their eye and get them to notice the ad again. And if you don't want to change your creative completely, you can do things just simply like putting a border on the ad or changing border colors or subtly changing a couple elements to somebody that'll seem like a new ad and they'll start taking notice again. Got it. Cool. Well, I'm intrigued about this ugly works better idea. Just tell us about one of your most ugly, repulsive, horrible looking ads, Max, that was most successful for you. What did sure. it look one of, like? One of, one of our best ads was simply, you know, we opened up paint. We, we took a square image, put it in the middle of a 300 by 250 ad unit and yeah. opened up, you know, the word tool and paint and typed in, you know, our headline and our call to action and put that up. And then a eventually put a red border around it but you know that really ugly ad that took us literally you know a minute to make and paint did fantastically yeah and you can see that almost everywhere i mean if you pay some attention for instance to facebook advertising you'll see that the ads that seem to be sticking around the longest and getting the most impressions and some of the most disgusting looking ads just with a nasty red border around it and yeah, because uh, it the crappiest picture yeah because it catches your eye absolutely Good. Cool. Well, I think we understand the importance of testing. We mentioned that earlier in relation to testing different elements of an ad itself, headline, call to action, the subheadline image, that type of thing. What else should we be testing in our campaigns themselves, Max? You always have to test your ad placement. The ad and then the placement are the two most important things. So once you've done your research, you have to you have to test a whole bunch of different placements to find the you know sort of ones that work. And I compare it to you know if if you like a certain flavor of jelly beans and you have a big jar of jelly beans, you gotta you gotta take a handful and then pick out the ones that you like. Yeah, it's 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 the same type of thing. So you gotta test you gotta aggressively test websites. You have to test elements of your landing page where you send somebody after they click on your ad, and then it's always it's about always testing and innovating on your ads and you know testing new copies or ideas there. Got it. Cool. Well, I think this is probably an appropriate time to talk about your service, what runs where, because as I understand it, your service or, or piece of software actually allows you to do a lot of this sort of research and campaign monitoring actually in a semi-automated fashion. Tell us a little bit about that product. Sure. Well, what, what we do is we do online advertising intelligence for display and mobile media. So we go around and we collect, you know, a whole bunch of data from the web. So we're we're able to show you where where competitors or where anybody is advertising, what the exact sites they're buying through are, what ad networks are buying through to be successful, what banners they're using, what their most successful banners are, and then a whole bunch of other statistics there, like what the best creatives on any particular ad network are, or you know the demographics of the people that are going there. So we're we do all that. We help you do all that research in a very automated fashion where you can just go in and let's say that you're Ford, you could just plug in Nissan and we would show you Nissan, a 360 view of Nissan's whole campaign. So as I talked about earlier, you could identify, oh, here are the elements their ads are working. I should maybe try these within my own ads or here are the ad networks they're buying on. I might want to try buying in the same places. Got it. So what type of scenarios can the software be used in? There, there are a ton of them. The, 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 the first one, you know, is when you're buying, you know, so you do all the research there and you use it to sort of limit your risk and make your campaign more successful. You can also use it if you're pitching a client to show a client what their competitors or, you know, they're already doing online 
because some people don't even know what they're they are buying but they don't know where they're buying because they're buying through that black box network approach and you know and then it can be used for prospecting as well to find you know new places to buy or new clients yeah, I'm just imagining about the opportunities for perhaps consultants out there to use it as a pitching tool to go and compare what their prospect is doing in comparison to their competitors. I imagine that's a very powerful use. And of course, monitoring yeah. your own campaigns and getting them started, it takes out so much of the risk, I can imagine. You know, Whereas before, you'd have to test yourself and probably waste a whole bunch of dollars in the process. You can actually alleviate some of that by just using this tool to see what's working already. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and you, you mentioned, you know, consultants, if you can go pitch a client and give them a, rep a little report and say, here's where your competitor is buying, this is what we can do for you to make you more efficient, you know, you're, you're probably going to win that client over a, com over a competitor that doesn't have that information. Yeah, absolutely. So how does this software work, Max? Are you able to kind of reveal what goes on underneath the lid? The way that I would describe it, and it's a great Analogy is it's like we're driving down the website the web is a highway and we're driving down the highway and then there are billboards along the side which are banner ads and we simply write down you know what's showing up on each billboard and then we identify you know who's selling that and where on the highway it's showing up so we we create a database out of that and then you know create a ton of data and make something useful out of it in an automated way that allows you to sort of track and see what your competitors are doing. Got it. Fantastic. Well, clever stuff. I know I'm going to be diving deep into it and checking out the exact capabilities of what runs where. Max, I think we've pretty much got towards the end of the interview. Is that the place that I should direct our listener to if they want to come and find out more about you and uh, what you get up to? Correct. Correct. Whatrunswear.com or anybody can always email me as well at max, M-A-X, at whatrunswear.com. I'm always happy to talk. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that those two references are placed beneath this interview. Wherever it appears, it will surely go on trafficjamcast.com and we may be posting it elsewhere. So wherever you find it, you should find links beneath. Max, thanks for your time today. You shared a bunch of uh, fantastic stuff and uh, just want to thank you for, for coming on and sharing your time. My pleasure. This week's news in traffic. Well, our news from the past seven days comes from the two big players, Facebook and Google. Let's first of all deal with Facebook. Now, they've established new restrictions for how many event invites a user can send. With the latest update, you cannot now send more than 100 event invites at a time. And an event can only have 300 pending invites at once. This could hinder the efforts of some event planners and marketers of events, but on the flip side of the coin does avoid users getting too many invitations for events that aren't relevant to them, which let's face it, over the past year or so has become a complete pain in the butt with so many event invites sent out for things that really don't qualify to be an event. So I think this is a good move on behalf of Facebook. Let's move to Google. Well, Google, who ironically rely on advertising for some 95% of its revenue, doesn't want ads on its hotly anticipated Google Glass augmented reality eyewear product. 
This prohibition came in the fine print of a policy made public on April the 15th, which says glassware developers may not serve or include any advertisements and they may not charge users to down apps from the device. Now, this announcement, which coincided with news that Google Glass Explorer Edition prototypes were about to ship. And this indicates that the Mountain View company behind the development of Google Glass is proceeding very carefully, even slowly when allowing third party developers to access the head mounted displays full capabilities. Now, it also means that developers won't have an obvious way of making money from their apps and marketers will not be able to tap into the traffic from this channel, at least in an obvious manner initially. I have another five-star iTunes review this week, and it's from Chal, who says, Great content, James. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge on traffic. Please keep the podcast going. I'm learning so much. Well, Chal, we are full steam ahead with a whole bunch of great interviews lined up with experts in YouTube marketing and email in coming weeks. So stay tuned for those. We'll absolutely keep them coming. And if you're enjoying this, then I recommend you check out my other weekly traffic tips over at seosherpa.com, the home of my search engine optimization agency, where I publish a short weekly video video on how you can optimize your website for higher search engine ranks and over at clickjam.com home to my google adwords management agency you'll learn pay-per-click marketing techniques now subscribe to both of those and you'll be a traffic whiz in next to no time and of course we do offer complete managed traffic services from both of those sites so to get your traffic done for you contact the teams over there now, on upcoming shows, I'll be answering listener questions. So if you have one for me, head on over to trafficjamcast.com and leave a message using the voicemail or leave a message option. I really would love to hear from you. The one minute traffic tip. OK, so this week's tip. If you're using YouTube as a traffic channel, which of course you should be, given the average viewer watches 21.8 hours of online video each month, which is nearly one full day. Now, whilst people do watch a lot of video, my own research watching closely my YouTube and Wistia analytics is that engagement drops significantly after about the two minute mark. And very few people have the patience to watch videos more than five minutes in length. So if you have a longer video you're using in your marketing, post a long version to your website and then break that video into shorter versions of one to two minutes in length. You want to use these videos to engage viewers fast. So pick the best parts of your video footage and then cut them short on a cliffhanger, a bit like you see in soap operas, leaving the viewer wanting to know what happens next. At the end of the video, put a call to action telling the viewer where they can see the full video. That, of course, will be a link to your website where they'll find a full length version. All that remains then is for you to upload your video to YouTube, optimize it for the keyword terms you want to rank for and include a nice, easy, clickable link in your YouTube description box. And there you have it, a nice, easy way to pull viewers away from YouTube to your own site. That completes another episode of Traffic Jam. I'll be right back next week with another expert interview and all the very latest traffic tips and news. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave me an iTunes review. I really would appreciate it. And I'll probably give you a little shout out on next week's show too.
Playing us out this week is a funky little jam from Breakestra, the LA-based soul jazz band, and it's called Hit the Floor. For future episodes, check out the website, trafficjamcast.com.